Hello, welcome to the show. I have a special guest today. I am super excited to have Fred Smith joining us. I've known Fred for quite a few years, and we went through an interesting experience together in a program that he led during the 2020 like awakening, where many of us kind of learned that things may not be as they appear. And I learned a tremendous amount from Fred about how the media is used as a tool in something like an information war. And I know many of you watching this are joining me in this venture to figure out the future of money. We're kind of watching the FTX debacle and the media's sort of complicity in that crazy situation. So I invited Fred on to help us answer a couple of questions about how we as sort of analysts and digital researchers can figure out what's real, what's propaganda, what is intentionally trying to like point you somewhere else because he's going to tell you a little bit about his background, but he is a pro at this and uh, we're lucky to have him share his insights today. Welcome, Fred. Hey, well, thank you so much for having me, Molly. It truly is an honor to actually reconnect with you. I know we've had a lot of growth since the last time we really had a chance to talk and I'm super excited to be here. Thank you. Do me a favor and tell everybody uh, watching this a little bit about your background and how it kind of like relates to what we're talking about today. Wow, I really appreciate that. Uh, it's actually the first time I'm publicly talking about it since I left out. I, I don't even know if you knew that. So, oh, yeah, wow. yeah, I, uh, I was uh, trained in the military back in 2000, I'm sorry, 1995 or six, 1996. So I was trained from a very high level to broadcasting and journalism. And that's the label that we have to use because the schools that I went to were a little bit more than that. We'll just leave, we'll have to park it right there. <laughs> so I, I had a secret clearance. I had to learn a lot of the photojournalistic aspects of the media. Uh, I was actually one of the guys who whenever news would happen, the media outlets would come to me directly, and we would also feed the media different events that would happen. And that required me as a high-level data analyst, for lack of a better word, because I didn't even know what it was called back then. Um, and also probably one of the very first social media people, quite frankly, because I was around before all the platforms. So what I had to do was figure out what information we should say, what information we shouldn't say, and then craft it in a way where it was palatable. So uh, during my real world experience, I had an awakening myself where I was out in the Persian Gulf and to make a long story short, I was stranded. <laughs> so it's one thing to, yeah, it's one thing to be in the combat zone. It's another thing to be out there by yourself, literally with one other person. And then uh, the units just split up and it was expected, but nobody really knew it was going to happen. So I wind up just hitchhiking in the desert, for lack of a better word. But that just taught me a lesson. What it taught me was that what we were doing was so uh, unheard of to be able to collect data that people will go to the ends of the earth to figure out how to get it. So um, once I had my awakening, I was just like, well, I don't know if I really want to stay in the military just you know, if I'm about to lose my life over here. <laughs> so so instead instead of that, I took those same skills while, while mostly everybody in my groups went to on to like work for DOD or they worked for the U.S. Army or they were doing intelligence or they were uh, award winning broadcasters, you know, and journalists. Uh, I just took the entrepreneur route. And I just took my talents and skills and put it in that lane. And that's how I got to the automotive world. But the same pattern of how I think is what brought me to the top of that lane as well. Same process, high level rooms, lots of data. What can you say? <laughs> what can't you say? And I wound up doing that uh, about 15 years. I finished up with a major automotive brand, literally helping rewrite their curriculum for the world. Over 20,000 people were affected by it. Same process same concept so i was like hmm i can't do this for the rest of my life so how am i able to really function as a regular human being and that's when we had met and then that's when i had started the group and then that's when i was showing people those skills and that's how we're still connected to today awesome so i grew up like many people oblivious to the fact that the news sometimes intentionally misled you 
That was quite a shocking revelation because as a kid, you kind of grow up trusting things around you. I was never taught by my school or my parents that, by the way, that may not be truthful. So anybody who kind of came from a similar world like me kind of was shocked to be like, wait, they kind of lie on purpose? Like, and this introduced me to this idea of propaganda, which I had heard about in studying history in World War II. But what I would love your take on is like, while it's well known that the sort of bad guys in war in Europe have used these techniques in the past, has the U.S. used this technique in our own military conflicts in history as well? Well, I would have to say that my empirical data says it depends. Ah. That, that's going to be the third option. A lot of people don't realize okay. there's a third option. What is the so, third option? The third option is it depends. <laughs> because, <laughs> because what happens is it literally is a battle of whose will is greater than whose. And I remember that was one of the questions that you had sent me earlier as far as just saying, hey, uh, these, are the, these are topics I'd like to go over so I had a chance to really do it. That's one of the reasons why I showed everybody in the room the art of triangulation. Because when you have the art of triangulation under your belt, then you're able to really see that third dot. Because we're taught it's either or. And subconsciously, we know it could be a little bit more. But we have to put in work for that third dot to really see the data. And the only way you can do that is with an unbiased mind. That's the first thing. And that's one of the reasons why I said we have to develop the ability of becoming critical thinkers, not critical people, because our biases are typically what get in the way. Yes. So, and, and I used to train on this all the time, and, I, and I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. I, I still train to it all of the time. I, I, I literally give the example of somebody in jail. I'm like, look, I said, at the end of the day, they may not tell you where they're guilty or innocent, but they will always tell you why they're right. And people will go to the ends of the earth to fight for their belief of right, even up to and including killing people. And that was one of the reasons why Napoleon uh, said, hey, people will fight for a ribbon or something like that because people want recognition, they want acknowledgement, they, they want to be seen. And then we have all of these biases that get in the way of those two dots that were taught, you know, left wing, right wing, this and that. And it's just, it's either or, it's a choice, it's a choice of an either or, but it's like, wait, wait about me, I'm the third option. Like, I have a choice, right? Like, not really, but it's kind of like, hey, here's the game. You know, you can either play here, you can play here, you can play here. You know, depending upon how nice you are on the board, it's a game. And either you're going to play or you'll be played. And I make, no I make no apologies for saying that. The reality of it is we have to figure out what our role in the picture is. I think that's a better, that's a better assessment because when you figure out that third dot of the triangulation, then what happens is you're able to look at things objectively. What happens is you call the game and then you pull yourself off the board. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you should stop playing the game. This is where people mess up. You know, some people just say, oh, I don't want to do anything. No, you have to eat. <laughs> there are certain things that we have to do. But to answer your question a lot more directly, that was the thing that I had to learn how to do is use. And I talked about that in Butler Academy, taking a half second step back. Like you have to use discernment. That, that, that half second step back literally is the difference between us um, listening to understand versus listening to respond putting certain unintentional emotions in there and perpetuating the game versus literally instead of, instead of being in the game, you can step back and watch it go this way. Now it's more like a tennis match. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah. So how would you explain triangulation to someone not familiar with that idea? Okay. So what I would do is say hey, triangulation. If I had to explain it to a five-year-old to say, Hey, this is what we have to do. Let's go and find everything we can. Give yourself a certain amount of time because you don't want to go down too many rabbit holes. You know, get as much research as you can. And then from there, understand that it's a puzzle and you're just working to see how the pieces fit together. That's all. And isn't triangulation have this idea that there are three roles that are played in a particular story? Is that part of that? I would say, again, it depends because we have to understand there are different definitions of triangulation. So in this context, I'm looking at it straight from a data standpoint, because that's why one of the reasons why I was saying bring the data, not the drama, because we want to bring the data so that we can see the drama. The only way that we can see the drama is if we're not in it. I look at myself as a movie director. So when you look at yourself as a movie director in the scene, you're literally seeing how you can direct the scene and control the scene versus being caught up in the picture, if that makes sense. Got it. Because one thing I learned from you that I've carried with me for a couple of years now is that when I do read a typically a mainstream media article, 
and it's full of very emotional language and it's yeah. sort of passing judgment versus factual reporting of just information that is like a ding 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 for me yeah. Can you kind of talk a little bit about how that's used yeah 100 percent. that's called editorializing and that's one of that's one of the things that it, it's it's the whole way that i was taught back in the day is not the way journalism is to this day like literally we couldn't like i was photoshop 1.0 as it was coming out like literally i was one of the old school camera guys where we take the camera we take the negatives and we would process our own film kind of stuff and we were taught to never, ever just leave it unaltered, leave it as is. But as somehow, some way, and I want to say it was around 2012, 2013, when the whole narrative really started shifting, where people became more entertainment focused. So now editorially, now, now if you're editorializing, it's considered too, uh, too dry, too bland. But if I'm looking at ones and zeros for information just so I can get accuracy in what I'm saying, it's absolutely imperative that I am not in. That was one of the first things that I was taught. Like we were literally taught to not be the news, like don't be the news. Now you fast forward to where we're at in 2022 going to 2023, influencers are the news and you're encouraged to put your, your stuff out there to generate news. So it's a whole different, par it literally is a huge paradigm shift from where I was versus to where I'm at to this day. Now, this is, again, I'm going to ask your opinion on this. Okay. Do you think that mainstream media does that technique simply to get attention and essentially add revenue? Or is there a more specific agenda that connects to maybe who is telling them to do that? Mm, I think it's a little bit of both. Okay. Because the reality of it is, and this is what I really still even talk about to this day, most people still have a knowing problem. It's not, it's unless you've got like extreme experience in it, maybe you have generations of maybe people, you know, understanding a certain way of thinking. And what I mean by certain way, like literally, like this is how I earn my living, like kind of, kind of thoughts, like generational wealth kind of stuff. Not necessarily uh, news stuff, but just a pattern of thinking that, that profit, that propitiates uh, a common theme, like something that you want to keep moving forever. It requires a certain thought pattern to be able to do that. As an example, the Industrial Revolution, right? Prior to the Industrial Revolution, everybody was more local. You know, it was a lot of more bartering, a lot more trade. People weren't going to schools. It was it was a whole different way of living. Fast forward 2023, because of 2020, we went right back to that model, and that's where we are going. So if you look at Web3, that's exactly what Web3 is about. It's about connected communities, online and offline. And it's technically Web5+. plus. That's how advanced we've gotten already. But we have your local business owners who are stuck in Web 2.0. And then we have certain people who have propitiated that one thought, i.e. farmers, who've never been in the game in the first place. They're like, no, we're, we're farmers. We're just going to stay doing this forever. Like my, my wife loves country music and the, the person's talking about, hey, I love to be in the country and I love eating my country ham. You know, like, <laughs> so that translates into news as well because if you don't know the environment in comparison, in, compar in comparison to some other environment, then how can you accurately make an assessment or judgment? It's tough, you know? It's like asking a fish to climb a tree. If, if you've never been like where I'm from, you know, where you literally have uh, years and years and years of, of like blocked opportunity, you just don't know what you don't know. It's literally learned helplessness. And that's, and that's part of the challenge that we have as we're growing is that we have outdated constructs. So I think that's what we're really fighting against, Molly, is, is the reality of it is we have people who are still turning the wrenches, but they don't quite understand that that's the wrong way. Like we need to... We need to change, like for real, like you're headed on a collision course. Like I was just reading yesterday as an example, you have some of these downtown places that are literally 47, 42% occupied. Like these major cities are being pummeled right now because nobody's going back to that kind of work. Interesting. It's just, it's just the machines just being ramped down a different way, but it's still a machine. You brought up a great point a minute ago that I wanted to ask you some more about, and this is this desire that I think we as humans have to put things into a dichotomy. Like this is good or bad. You're on the left or the right. This is either true or false. And it would be nice if the world were that simple, but in reality it is more complicated. Do you think though that if you, let's say you are like a leader of a financial cartel mm -hmm. and you had a particular agenda that you wanted to push, do you think people like that ever create controlled opposition to create this false dichotomy? 
Like, is controlled opposition a real thing? That's a good question. I can tell you that most of them are too busy. <laughs> it, it is it is so hard to run one thing really well in that lane because I did finance and insurance for a very long time. So okay. I, have a, I have a lot of experience in those lanes when it comes to mergers and acquisitions and how people like, for example, like when I was working with uh, when I was working with uh, business brokers, right? There is a game where you've got the buy sell people. They have special algorithms that can pick off businesses before and they know when they're ready to sell. They'll come and make the offer. They know that the business isn't ready. Yes, there are certain parts of that. And I have friends who are countering that. They literally have built special software and special programs to say, hey, here's a safe space. Before you decide to do that, check this out. So it's it's really, again, it's it's we're hardwired to be, I think the, the true problem, Molly, is that we're, we're hardwired to be competitive as a result of the Industrial Revolution versus being collaborative. Because you have people who I personally know, well, knew, I'm not anymore, but the reality of it is, like, certain scenes that I've seen, people spend lots of money just to get the right data. They do. Because the data, data is the new oil, data is the new gold. So if we really want to focus on something, we should be looking at how data allocation really goes. It's neither good nor bad, but people are looking to make better decisions. That's what I've seen as results of it. So it's it's neither good nor bad. Like there's there's to me, it's the yin and the yang of the markets. You have to have, you know, I can get biblical with it. It's in the Bible. You know, you can you can get you can get just holistic with it. Whatever you believe in. The reality of it is, though, you need both sides because that's how change happens. Some people just get biases in the lane again and they go, oh, well, you know, now if it's absolutely malicious intent, different story. We see that in the news, even as unbiased, even as biased as it is. We still say, hey, that's absolutely wrong. You know, they should have done that. You know, we need to, you know, fix that. Like that part right there is bad. Like I'm a firm believer in that as well. But for the most part, what I'm just seeing is that as as being a responsible citizen, what I just focus in on, I'm very solutions oriented. So I think sometimes people can enthusiastically go the wrong way and what looks good is bad and what looks bad is good. That's the reasons why stepping out of this of the of the game and just doing your best to call the game is when you'll see the truth. And that's what I was showing everybody in that group, like literally putting over 3000 articles in there and Facebook at that time had flagged less than 15 of them as fake news. That's that's just how my mind works is because literally what I was showing y'all was, hey, doesn't matter what's good or bad. Let's focus on the outcome, but also let's get the, the data points. Hey, if that that's there's a news article right there, but the reality of it is it's not a lot of it. But that's like, and you, I don't know if you remember, I was literally putting trending posts out there because I was like, hey, I'm starting to see a couple more articles on this. And next thing you know, it, it would hit mainstream. Well, the reality of it is sometimes the news is made before you see it on the news. And by the time you see it on the news, it's already too late. I know that was a lot, but no, that was awesome. <laughs> another thing that you taught me that I've continued to use is that sometimes if you want more accurate factual information to look at kind of more local news or mm -hmm. even trade publications, because they're less likely to be caught up in this kind of editorializing game. Is that yeah. something you still think is true? Oh, 100%. Because usually the problem is most people, and that's that's how that's what I was telling you earlier before we even hit, like that's the reasons why advertising is so powerful. Because most people don't, what they don't realize is that when you're running an ad, the reality of it is the person, they're trying to get into somebody's brain. They're trying to get them to do something. And most of the intel is always on the ground. It's always between human connections. That's why organic marketing is so powerful. That's why the reason why word of mouth is so powerful is because you know, we still have that human connection to go, hey, buy this or do that or don't do this or don't do that. Now we have a lot more uh, expedited ways of doing it because of online or whatever. But for the most part, that mechanism to get into somebody's head is still advertising. And that's the reasons why I was saying before, like, we have to be mindful of what we're communicating and what we're putting out there on all levels. But but the ground game is still the one that wins at the end of the day. So if you had to give kind of a online researcher a couple of specific tips on how to determine if an article has been heavily editorialized or if it has more factual information what are a couple specific things that somebody could look for okay now this might sound a little woo woo but this is the okay. answer <laughs> this is the answer I, I promise you i was just talking about it the other day where uh 
they're they're now training special forces to just like meditate before they go into different situations. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. The reasons why is because we have so much so much structure in our lives that our conversation is very unique. But as as people are waking up to understand how to think through things, this is the processes that I use to think through things. The first thing that you have to do is literally in the morning when you wake up, think about nothing. Because what happens is your mind is the most, uh, it, it's the most influential when you wake up and when you go to bed. So that's usually about a 30 minute time range. So I usually work to do nothing the first 30 minutes. And then from there I set my day. Because if you don't set your day, what typically happens is what's going to happen? You start checking your phone, you start checking news feeds, you start getting all of these influences because we're looking for uh, stimulus. We're, we're, we're meaning-making machines, as Jane would say, which is true. So we're looking to see how we can have the edge every single day that's going to benefit us for our own survival. So I just took it from Maslow's Hierarchy Needs Survival 101 on the basic survival, right? And then you have the top of the level, which is self-actualization. But none of that stuff means anything if we don't do a hard reset every single morning and then we go to bed. If something stimulates you and you realize, hey, I want to go a little bit further down that rabbit hole, then the second thing that I do is I literally, if you're really that interested, you can go to Google Trends. You can actually set your alarms because that's what I was doing as well, and I still do that. If there's something, if there's a topic that specifically interests me, I will go to Google Trends and then like every every single thing that could possibly come out for that day will will show up that day because that's how that's how dialed in Google is, right? Got it. That's a huge tool. Go ahead. No, I just said got it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so so that's it. Just 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 set up your day, literally beginning with the end in mind, but making sure that you're having a, a hard... A, a, you have to go into the day with intention. A lot of people don't do that. This is the reasons why people... The news has such a hypnotic cadence to people is because we're literally looking for an answer, but we haven't said what we're really looking for. So if you go to Psycho-Cybernetics with Maxwell Maltz, you know, that's another book that I would highly suggest that your audience reads because what happens is we don't have the GPS that we need because what happens is just like if you put your GPS in a car, it's going to tell you to do this and do that and do this and do that. But the reality of it is when you're talking about news or other resources, it's a little bit harder to see because there's just so much noise in the marketplace. So you have to have that kind of intention internally. You have to have that kind of intentional, have to have that kind of intention externally, which is the Google, uh, you know, news feeds or whatever. And then from there, I usually like to go, uh, I'm trying to think of the one, um, uh, Help a Reporter Out is one that I was using. Sometimes people are looking for specific articles. You can also look for uh, journalist guilds that are out there as well. Some of them are totally focusing in on biased ones. And it's funny because I just found two, and if I have a chance, I'll send it to you. But those are things that, at the end of the day, it's what you're doing is setting your mind as more of a casino versus an absolute. So if I stack the odds in my favor to live my life a certain way every single day, there's a higher probability that I'm going to stay on course. If I don't set it up a certain way, then you're just going to be like everybody else just blowing in the wind. And next thing you know, oh, the sky's falling. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, we, have, we have news right now that's saying that we're about to go into a global uh, recession. I mean, I get data right from Facebook <laughs> and the data says otherwise, like October 2022. It's just like we are experiencing something, but the reality of it is it's more of a reshifting and reallocation of resources based on what I said earlier. That's what's really going on. I mean, you know, they do $160 million an hour. I'm just saying, like, I don't have those kind of resources. So why would I not believe that? They, they're, they're in the ads lane. They're more, they're more of an ads type company now versus social media. So they have all the data. Why wouldn't I pay attention to that data? It's, it's the best guess that I have. It still may not be accurate, but it's definitely the best guess. So hopefully that makes sense. So are you suggesting that if I wanted to sort of have more discernment about whether a media source is factual or editorializing, my subconscious is going to help with that? Is that sort of this connection to the meditation? Is that rely more on my instincts to sort of help figure that out? 100%. It's, what you're doing is essentially you're building up your own internal sniff test. Okay. You know, like like when I used to walk into dealerships, perfect example, like I would go in there just to check to make sure that nobody was lying, cheating, or stealing, and it was illegal, right? That was my whole job. Sometimes I go in there, you know, I do deal audits, make sure everything is compliant. 
And if something just didn't pass a sniff test, I'm like, wait, that don't make no sense. Like, and I go a little bit deeper. I have my checklist. So my checklist is just the one that I gave you right there. I have my checklist. I go straight down the checklist and I go, aha, that's what happened right there. So, okay, we don't want to get fined $10,000 for that. So let's just go ahead and block that out, document it, talk to the dealer, do some training on it because it could have been intentional or unintentional. You know, I mean, and that's the whole thing about it. Like it's, it's such a process to do this stuff in order to keep it high level and amazingly simple. That's why I gave you that basic check checklist because through time, what happens is if you keep living this certain way, then you'll, then your, then your discernment filters will get a lot cleaner. Your optics will get a lot better. You'll be able to really use a lot more high level discernment, you know, and, and that's why I said, it just make it a little woo woo, you know, because now you're using third eye kind of stuff. It's just like, okay, well, you know. It's not passing my sniff test. Let me go a little deeper. And that's what I used to do because I didn't have time to go through all the articles even as even when the world was at a standstill. You just don't. So those were my those were literally my noise cutters. So anytime I was giving you that stuff, I would walk you through that process. Because that was what happened with me when the trust science thing came out. As an analyst and somebody who's built predictive models, nobody who does that trusts science. The whole point of science is to try to prove that the other guy's wrong and to try to prove that there's a better way to do it and that that way is outdated and et cetera. So no one who's actually a scientist trusts science. Like if you do, you're out of work. If you trust that everything else is done and right, then go home. Well, see, that's the thing about it. Like, like when I was in high school, we, I focused, I was trained on library science. That's how I got into that. That's how I got into that lane. Yeah, so so literally my, my teacher was like, hey, they're changing the system. I'm going to give you one of the biggest gifts that you can have. And it's literally learning how to research. So those were some of the steps that she just like, take a deep breath. There's a lot of books. <laughs> okay, now what do you really want to go through today? And boom, you have the block and then we go read the books and then I do my reports. And that's how I was able to rifle through a lot of the information. To me, it's no different. You know, it's just a bigger library when I'm when I'm out here. It's just a bigger library. I don't need to know everything. So the other thing, too, is that also if you can go and, and literally do more research on the reticular activator, that's another big thing as well. If you want to go really technical with it. So the reticular activator for people who don't know, it's no different than if I go to buy a car and I see the same car or if I thought I got something that was unique. And next thing I know, five other people were wearing it. That's literally what we're doing with our brains every single day. And we have to use, and we have to, it's just like taking a bath. You just can't not do it one day. Like you have to consciously think through this stuff all the time or you're going to get caught up. But you shouldn't be so laser focused on it that you're still going to get caught up because that's what happens. Some people can't see the forest for the trees. So you have to take a macro and a micro view and that just takes practice. So that's the only way that you, that's the only way that I know there could be better ways but that's the only way that I know to really be able to use discernment, go through the information relatively fast, because once I get an answer, I need just enough. That's how my world is. I don't have time for all of this information, like literally just enough. And then I'm on to the next thing. Awesome. Another strange reality of the last couple of years is an overwhelming number of ideas that get labeled as conspiracy theory. Mm. Like when I was growing up, there was kind of like one, it was like the JFK thing. And if you were to list out how many ideas are listed as conspiracy now, there's probably like 20 or more that are widely known. So is that just random or like, does, is someone out there making them up? Is there truth to them? Like how can we sort of, use your thought process to understand this modern world full of conspiracy theories? Oh, that's a great question. That's totally genius right there. Just like the good guys got data, the bad guys got data. Just like the yeah. good guys manufacture propaganda, the bad guys manufacture propaganda. That's just, it's the game. Like in some, in some lanes, the, the game is played for keeps like the military, you know, but the reality of it is that is the duality of life. And if, 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 if there's nothing else, anybody remembers what I'm saying today is understanding how duality works. If there's a left, there's a right. If there's an up, there's a down. If there's an in, there's an out. There's always going to be the other side of the data and I don't ever underestimate the innovative thinking of the other side of the data that the person is pushing because they're just as smart as we are. That's the reason why we have Space Force. Like, this stuff is real. Like, why do you think we have... That you person was like, why do, why do people think, like, we have, like, security for, for internet, like, you know, web browsers and stuff like this because people are on the other side of the data trying to get it. That's why. It, it, it's, it's, it's phenomenally simple and profound as that is. Most people don't really see that because we've been trained and conditioned to just think one thing. We've been taught to be like one trick ponies. It's hard. It is scientifically hard, not impossible, 
but it's scientifically hard to be able to train your brain to think on both sides of the data. So I've had to learn how to condition my mind and subconsciously I'm always saying, well, what's the other side of the data? What's the other side of the data? Like, what's the other side of the data? But just to the point where I can get traction on what I'm doing, and to your point, I don't go that much further. But if you have people out there who are talking about conspiracy theories, it's like, well, it, it's to me, a conspiracy theory isn't a conspiracy theory if you know what page it's on. Just saying. <laughs> you know? Because it, that's just the way it works. Now, you don't have to believe it or accept it because maybe that's challenging a belief system of yours. Maybe you don't, maybe, you know, maybe you can't accept it because it really is shattering like a huge paradigm. But at the end of the day, it's out there and all fantasy has its origins of truism. Because if you actually break down that label, conspiracy just means that a couple of people like conspire to do something. I mean, kids conspire to do things all the time that want to like get their parents to say yes to something. Yeah. And then theory just means it's a belief I have that may, that I can't quite say is fact. 100%. So I have plenty of theories about like people in a benign way conspiring to accomplish a goal. So I think it's been a, a miraculous way to discredit anything that maybe is a threat as a conspiracy theory, because then all of a sudden there's like this defensive nature, like, oh, I don't believe conspiracy theories. That must not be true. I'm glad you say it just like that, because to me, conspiracy theory and the words, the phrase conspiracy theory and the words manipulative to me are very dismissive. And here's why. They're very dismissive. Because to your point, whenever you're working in a group setting, you're conspiring. Now, whether it's for good or evil or how you label good or bad, that's a different story. We're not talking about that. But to your point, I'm very accurate on my words because I have to be. I don't have it all figured out. But again, just enough to do my best to be as accurate. I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm a human just like everybody else. I make mistakes just like everybody else. I might say the right or wrong thing unintentionally just like everybody else. But getting back to that, uh, that casino theory that I was telling you about, if you look at Fred's odds, it's more stacked in his favor that he's a good guy. If you look at his odds, he may or may not be like the person for you. But I do my best to be as clear and conspicuous so that there is no conspiracy theory. It's like, no, I'm doing my best to show you that this is how Fred is as a human being because I want to be a certain way and do a certain thing to have a certain thing. And that's my woo-woo side. So for the people, and it goes, it goes the inverse. That's what people don't understand. Like the way that I think, I also think of the inverse. There are some people out there who don't care. They're all about malicious intent. And they will do their best to spread havoc and chaos. And is it right or wrong? It depends. I, I'll give you another example. The reality of it is we have a lot of stuff that's going on with cell phones right now in China, right? And 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 there's you've seen you've seen on the news that there's some uprisings and some things like that. A lot of people don't understand that that's really happening in somebody's life. It's not just on TV. Now, is it good or bad? I don't know. I'm not there. But if you Wikipedia situational ethics, then you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. You know, one of my best friends, you know, he he was in, 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 in the game. You know, he used to sell some stuff that you shouldn't be selling, right? But that's all he knew coming up in that environment. He took his funds and helped out his kids and he lived a relatively decent life as a good human being. But you look at it some, to somebody else and they go, oh, well, he's a bad guy. It's like, well, I've never seen him do any harm to anybody. I don't know. I know he makes his money somehow to feed his family, but I don't know. But the reality of it is, you know, he didn't, he legitimately didn't know any better. Like, this is how you feed your family. But for somebody else, that's bad. For him, it's survival. That's situational ethics. Right. I feel like there's a famous example, I don't really know where it's from, where, like, if, like, a kid were to go out and steal medicine so that their, you know, infant sibling could survive, is that wrong? Like... That sort of same idea. Now just do that at scale and you have news. <laughs> I, that, I'm being real. That's, that's how it goes. Mm. Just do it at scale. Uh, so one of the topics that I've covered in this channel, because we talk a lot about crypto stuff, is that the founder of uh, FTX is this kid named Sam Bankman-Fried, and he's very involved in a social movement called, called Effective Altruism. And it, I don't know if you're familiar, but it's essentially a Malthusian movement where they, this group of people is very worried that in a couple hundred years, we will have too many people on the planet and that tech AI will take over. And so they have a couple of initiatives in place now where they are essentially believe if we sacrifice in the short term, 
then in the long term, humanity will benefit. Mm. I don't personally agree with this philosophy, uh, but this, I think, is an example of how you can rationalize things easily, even if you're doing something that is wrong. Well, you know, the cool thing about what you said, though, and everything that we're talking about, it's just math. So you can take that same theory. You can take 8 billion. And I was just, I don't even know how, I don't even know how I read some of the stuff that I do. But like, somebody was just putting that argument out there, like the world's not overpopulated. Everybody could fit in the state of Alaska with an acre and they're still okay. Because it's a finite amount of resources. So it's just math. That's what I'm saying. People look at the math of things. That's why we, even when you hear things that people, people go follow the money. Because these are just words, but if you look at the math behind things, it's usually going to give you the answer. Right. So I think, is it just that people are too busy or slash lazy and it's easier for the media to just tell them what to believe than to try to do the math? I think it's learned helplessness. I think what it really boils down to is um, some people just don't understand the power of words. Some people just don't understand the power of their actions. Some people don't understand the power of behavior. Some people don't understand like that other they have to be mindful of other people because this is not a zero sum game. What I do does affect somebody else for real. Um, I think there's a lot of a huge lot of misunderstandings that are part of that game. And it's one of the things that we talked about as far as, you know, the Cartman drama triangle. That was one of the first things I introduced to everybody in there because anybody can look up Steve Cartman's work and see for a fact that, you know, it's one of those things where it's a very simple game. Persecutor, rescuer, victim. That's what I was referring to when I brought up the triangulation, this triangle. So that's why I, I mixed those up. Can you explain what you okay. just were describing right now? Yeah. So basically, uh, Dr. Steve Cartman, brilliant guy. Um, back in the 70s, he, it's not, and it's not theory. The interesting thing about it is this is very practical. He has a book on it. Um, something is called The Game. I have, I have it in the room. But just in a nutshell, you have people, we all tend to run through this game because that's the way life is set up. So as an example, you know, I scream at my kid. My wife comes to me, what are you doing? Why is why is why are you screaming on blah 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 blah? Well, she's the rescuer and my kid's the victim. And I, but I'm the persecutor because I'm I see something wrong and I'm doing my best to correct it. Whether it's right or wrong in somebody else's mind is totally irrelevant. I'm just saying for the purpose of this example. So and then the kid may get rebellious and go, yeah, we don't like you anyway because you're a stepdad and blah, 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 blah. They know which buttons to push. Mom's right. I told you, Mom, we shouldn't keep him around, blah, blah, blah. This stuff happens for real in real life. So now the kid becomes the persecutor and the person who screamed at him now becomes the victim. And now Mom's just standing there as the rescuer feeling all good. Like, yeah, you know, it's vindication, it's justice. I, I created a space where you can tell him off and it's okay. That's really how the game of life is played. It doesn't matter whether it's in politics, news, sports, finances, uh, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. It's, it's, it's a game. And the way that you, quote unquote, beat the game is once you're aware that there's a game, then you just call the game. It's really that simple. It's like, hey, you know what? Like, as an example, we had to rehome one of our dogs. Nobody wanted to do it. It was weird energy in the room. Just like, hey, look, guys, like nobody's ever done this before. Like, you know, it's okay for everybody to have feelings and emotions on this because, you know, you feel a certain way that you want to keep them. You feel a certain way that you want them to go. And you feel this way. I'm like, I don't have any feelings to worry because, quite frankly, they were screamed out at me in the Marines. <laughs> so that's why I'm able to see all of this stuff. And it's just a simple like, hey, either you want to do it or you don't. Let's put some context in here. But we were able to see eye to eye. And that's the key to playing the game. You have to be able to see eye to eye with somebody in order for them to really understand that you know what we're looking for is connection. And if we can't connect, then the game will continue. That's how you really call the game is just through really true human connection. So tying this back to media is that that sort of role assignment I have also found useful in looking at media sources mm -hmm. and that when a story will paint one party as the victim and the other party as the aggressor or the persecutor, and this now third party who's going to rescue, that's sort of a model that just gets used over and over, which may or may not be accurate. Is that correct? I would say, I would say again, it depends because the reality of it is they didn't sit down and learn this stuff in school. I can already tell you that. Nobody, there's no Cartman Drama Triangle 101 stuff. It's just been inherently baked into society and human okay. nature. Does that make sense? They weren't, hey, here's the Cartman Drama Triangle. No, it's subconsciously done. Yeah. Well, what subconsciously, that's what I'm saying, what subconsciously it happens, 
the reality of it is somebody was able to label it and identify it because they were able to see a pattern. So that's really how true triangulation works. Steve Cartman was able to step back and go, hmm, there's a pattern here. He watched it play tennis like I just went through. Okay. And he's like, oh, that's what it is. Since I found it, I'm going to name it that. <laughs> and that's really how, it, how the game works because what happens is there's a lot more also going back into our optics. We can use those same optics to find opportunity versus finding the adversities. So that's where even Taylor talks about the dark and light mm -hmm. energy, the, the clean and dirty energy kind of concept where, you know, and that's a very powerful concept because it's true. It's like, you know, when I was going through a lot of my stuff, regardless of people were trying to help me out or not, I had dirty energy. Like I couldn't see because my optics were just so muddy just from my own personal experiences. So entering a person who doesn't have those biases, they're the rescuer, right? They're here to raise awareness and you just kind of go, hmm. Now, typically to me, that's how news should be. And when I was, when I was doing the news, that's why I did features. I did uh, positive stories. I did editorials like, like we're talking about right now. Because okay. I will take it, I will still take a third party stance to go, hey, at the end of the day, you know, how does this benefit people? Like, what's the real outcome of us talking about this? Like, why is this such a big deal? So when me and you started talking about this, this is a huge deal simply because a lot of people don't know these tools. That's the problem. A lot of people don't know these tools at mass and at scale, because if they did, then if 8, if 8 billion people knew what we were just talking about, maybe we'd have a different outcome in life because everybody can see it. And it's just like, you know, it's not right or wrong for me to see it. It's not good or bad for me to see it. It's just what it is, but it gives me more choice. And then with those choices, I have more opportunity. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, so totally. You and I have both had careers that involve marketing. And if you do any kind of copywriting, you generally come across this concept called the hero's journey, yeah. which has, again, this role assignment that you just covered where you sort of have this hero, they, a problem comes along, the hero is flawed, this problem looks bad, this sort of an, a bad guy, usually an enemy that comes along. And then there's an enabler or a rescuer yeah. who helps solve the problem. And then the hero overcomes the problem, which is not only a literal physical problem, but some kind of emotional problem and they emerge a better person. Yep. So does that fit into that drama triangle as well, the hero's journey? 100%, because yeah. there's there's little triangles inside those triangles that perpetuate the story. Mm. Yeah. And if you're not familiar with that idea, like 99% of Hollywood movies will follow that. <laughs> that same pattern. It's it's an endless, uh, there's a good book called Story. Story think, Brand? No, that's uh, Donald Miller. This one's Story, I think, by some somebody, Keith. But anybody can Google it. It's, it's it's a purple and black book, but it's it's pretty. It go. It's, it's it's the same pattern. You know, you have that good bad hero doesn't want to be the hero climax, anti climax, and then the rest of it. And it's just it's like a five pattern sequence. And especially every like action movie absolutely follows this framework, and even more drama type things as well well the whole life and that's what i was saying like if you understand even how stories work then the news becomes less of a thing and it becomes more of i i personally look at news as legion because if we're supposed to write the pain points i'm like oh okay there's a pain point <laughs> you know <laughs> I, it's, it's not going away you know, so i might as well use it to my advantage versus just like ah you know because i used to do that but look, I literally almost lost my life over it. I'm like, look, I subscribed from this stuff 26 years ago. Like, I'm good. And even when we were, even when we were in the group, I'm like, I'm only going to do this for a certain amount of time because y'all really don't believe half this stuff. But here it is. I gotta go. Bye bye. You know, because what happens is if you don't call the game, then it it starts taking control of you. We're yeah, we're look. If you don't understand, not you personally, if you don't understand that like. You know, space exploration is like one of the highest games. <laughs> it's like space exploration, military, you know, real estate and automotive are tied, and then everybody else. That's like the game. <laughs> and, you know, you got crypto and everything else in between, but those are tools of the game. So I'm going to ask you for some speculation on something that I know is not necessarily something you have a lot of background on, so I'll fill okay. you in a little bit. Okay. Uh, a lot of people who watch, who are fans of my channel, we have a couple of digital assets, crypto, what you might call them, that we are heavily invested in, read about, talk about. And there's a theory that these particular payment methods 
will be used when we have space exploration. And it sounds kind of crazy, but you think about it, you know, one of the founders of this, these tokens, he ha is working on a space station called VAST. He's friends with Elon Musk. He's kind of like in that circle. And he's building this space station where people will live and work. So if I had a job on a space station, like I got to get paid somehow. And you can't just like use the internet because it's space or maybe you could, but there still needs to be something that doesn't require wired internet like we have now. So do you think like in our lifetime, we will actually be going to space and have like financial transactions and jobs? Like, is that something that is way off in the future or in the next like 20 years? Well, I believe that's the reasons why Elon Musk is creating Neuralink, quite frankly. Okay. Because the reality of it is to your point, like people don't understand like how money truly works. It's really currency. Like, in exchange for this, I get that. And I can't be running around with chickens all over the place. You know, like, I got a chicken and you got this and I need that, you know. So so, so we, we have to come up with something that's tangible to say, in exchange for this, I get that. And that, to me, is what you're talking about because it really is, currency is an intangible. You really can't see it. It's more of a promise, hence promissory notes. Like, you know, in exchange for this, you get that, and I promise, right. So we go back to clearly defining the original intention of this stuff. Then we start having all these amazing breakthroughs. That's why I say I'm such a basic guy. Like, I might know a lot of stuff, but the game ain't that hard. It's just like, don't get too far down these rabbit holes. Because what it helps me do is see the futurisms of stuff like you're talking about. That, that's a very, and me and you never even talked about that. Like, when people were talking to me earlier about blockchain, I'm like, yeah, I understand how blockchain works because I I learned it. Like, you know, we, were, we didn't know what it was quite called, but it's still based on village principles. It's still based on, like, the Industrial Revolution. Like, oh, explain blockchain. Okay, well, remember the Industrial Revolution? Yeah, well, before that, that's how blockchain was. It's a trusted community. People kind of knew each other. They had ledgers. You know, it's just it's the exact same thing. It just got upgraded. Also, one thing you mentioned that just made me think of something is when you kind of get all woo-woo about money, <laughs> there's a belief that everything is energy and money is energy. And even the Bitcoin community where the way you make new Bitcoin is through expending energy, the way you get gold is you got to do a lot of work to dig it up and refine it. Yep. So do you think like a future monetary system could just be another form of energy that you get paid? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, even even with my son, I'm mean, I'm like, I'll give a perfect example. Like, what people don't understand, and I don't know how true this is, and this is your lane, but from some of the people who I've talked to and the experiences with crypto and everything like that, crypto's energy, right? So some of these people who put a value on the video games based on how many people play it, and that's how the energy gets recirculated. And 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 my son, I said, look, do you guys even like? It, it was what prompted that was literally I was talking to Facebook, and they were like, hey. You know, we've got kids who are like 18 years, I'm talking about kids, I'm not talking about young adults, I'm talking about literally kids, who are coming up and they're becoming multimillionaires. And that's when I started doing some research and, and come to find out that there's a correlation between crypto and video games. So I was just like, okay, so son, are you like building your own video game? Because my understanding is that that energy is what's having a valuation because people are collecting the data on the back end while you're playing it as an end user. And see, I understand that circulatory system of energy because that's what I used to do in a car game. I'd work at the, on the manufacturing side, but I'd still be at the dealership level talking to clients and you know closing deals and talking to customers and then I'd report back out. So to me, there was a high correlation of that, of that assessment. I'm just like, yeah, why don't you take your own energy? Because I know people who will do this and I used to see them. I'm like, why are you doing that? Oh, because this affects my crypto. Like I'm like, it's just like, what? Like, like they're walking down the street and they need to work out so they can get more like energy for their crypto. I, I don't know anything about that lane. Maybe you do, but I have to do more research. But the reality of it is, and I'm talking about some very smart people. I'm not talking about somebody who just like doesn't, I'm talking about like owners of things. And they're, they're having these kinds of conversations. When I mean by owners, I'm like, they own like, uh, you know, portfolios of businesses <laughs> you know they're they're in these tech lanes and they get it i mean the thing that was innovative about crypto in my opinion one of them is that you could actually now own assets on the internet in a different way where up until sort of crypto and digital assets the only thing i could really own was like a you like a domain i mean i don't own my gmail account i don't own my facebook account those are all 
borrowed assets. Mm -hmm. But now with sort of this NFT technology, I could play a video game and I could win a sword or whatever. And yep. I literally could own that thing on the blockchain and I could sell it to you. So the ownership thing changed a little bit. So the alchemy is exactly what I'm talking about then. That you just validated what I said. So you had the other side of the data. We've never talked about this. Because they have to put in labor in order to have a value for their energy. And I'm not a video gamer at all, but my understanding is that like before this, you would play the game and when you quit the game, the stuff you won is gone. Like it's only relevant in the game. But now with crypto, I could sell that thing in the game for some kind of asset that I could actually turn into dollars. Nice. So it kind of changed. The yeah, but to get back into your original uh, question, yeah, I can easily see us still keeping the intangibles and having valuations on them so that we can literally, you know, do something with our labor. So in exchange for that, yeah, it has a value to it. It has an agreed value to it. And we're at Mars, you know, and hey, I did all of this work and I know you just can't like, you know, send it to me like with a vacuum tube or a carrier pigeon. So we have to have something. So I know you can't always tell me everything that I ask you, but knowing that you are more aware of what happens with Space Force than I am, like, are humans really going to go to a planet like Mars? Or is that sort of a distraction? I don't see why not. And because Space Force is not an original idea. It's actually been around since, I think, 2011, 2012. I want to say it was Australia who first had it. So it's Space Force has been around for a good minute. I think we're actually behind on that. Yeah. I thought it was a division of the U.S. military. It, it is. Okay. But, but when I started doing some research... <laughs> you know how I do research. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> I had no idea. Matter of fact, I'm about to do it right now while we're talking because I, I, it, it's going to be a sticking issue in my mind. So Now, I don't know much about Australian innovation, but I was never under the impression that they had a space program. Yeah. Um, so is that essentially a division of the British crown that's just managed in Australia because it's big? Well, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like, this is all this. I'm, I have an article right here. How old is this article? 1957, December 2019. I don't know if it's going to talk about this is March 2022. So this isn't the one I was looking for. There was one specific article that I pulled up and it was dated 2012 and it had mentioned Australia in it. Interesting. Yeah. So. Uh, so you do have a high level of probability that space travel in terms of interplanetary travel is on the agenda in the next, within a lifetime? Oh, 100%. Okay. Yeah, I, I really, well, because we've already, even, I was reading books like that when I was, uh, like, in high school, talking about, like, what the future looked like, and everything hasn't missed. Like, literally, the, the, I, was, I don't know how I, I was reading futurism books, but I got on somebody's mailing list <laughs> when I was a kid. <laughs> and next thing you know, I'm ordering these books. So I've always been fascinated with it for as long as I can remember. Um, so I've never really looked at it any other way except just information and data. I'm like, hmm, is that true? Is that not true? Like, hmm, I wonder if. And to me, it was always thought starters. Like, I didn't, I didn't put anything further into it until I got older, obviously, because we have to make life decisions with information. You know what I'm saying? Like... Like, as an example, if gas is too high, like, people shouldn't be making life decisions at the gas station as to whether or not they can eat because they can't drive. You know, it's just that kind of stuff, so. Because one thing that I just find odd looking back in history is that, you know, we went to the moon back in the 60s, and you could make a phone call from the moon to the president, but then we didn't have cell phones for a very, very long time. So how did they make a phone call from the moon? Oh, I can answer that. Well, at least I'll do my best. I, okay. I can, because I, this is a triangulation. This is total speculation, but I can just tell you we've already had uh, drones back in the 1930s. That you unmanned aerial vehicles have been around since the 30s. So if you look at when they became mass produced, I mean, we're all You think that tech exists well in advance of mass consumption of them? So, like cell phone technology, whatever that technology was to make the phone call from the moon. Oh, 100%. Like, literally, there were bugs that MIT had actually... Uh, and I remember, I remember physically seeing these articles. That's why I can just... I'm literally taking off the top of my head. But literally, they had remote control bugs with cameras on them before people even knew what they were. Bugs like an insect? Yeah, like an insect. Literally a bug. Yeah. That's a surveillance bug? 
Like yeah, hundred oh. percent. Interesting. Yeah, but they were using them for like search and rescue and all the other stuff. So I'm those bugs. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff that, and I think I saw that like in nineteen ninety. I was I was in Virginia, so that was around nineteen ninety six or seven. And you might not be able to answer this. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I know that you have been out to a region in Nevada that is has the word area and then numbers in it. <laughs> Does any of the technology that maybe we exist in the United States but we don't use, is it related to that type of thing at all? Well, I have to answer it this way. I, ha okay. I literally had a friend who was there. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, not me directly, but... I mean, you can see remnants of that off the Vegas Strip because there are planes that have that don't have the tail numbers that exist on there. And it's actually on my IG. If you look at my IG, I, I actually posted one uh, when I was traveling a lot. And I was like, don't nobody see that plane? It doesn't have a designation on there. Doesn't other people understand? Like, that's not... <laughs> just like... Yeah. It's... So the technology part, I think, is what intrigues people the most. And I think when we're looking at this whole thing, we have to realize... And I said it the other day, like even in the car business, like you have like a lot of the high line models first. They usually get the technology and then through time it trickles down to the mass produced car. That's the same way that it works in, in space. It's the same work the way that it works in the military. Like when I was out in the desert, we had pluggers. A plugger literally is like a, uh, it's a, a GPS and it was accurate to about maybe like four feet back then. Now literally it's like four centimeters. So... You know, and, and they had satellite phones back then. Now, they still have satellite phones, but I don't know anybody who has a satellite phone now, but they've always been out there. There's a lot, a lot of technology that just exists that we may never see because, for one, we don't have the resources. The second one is that even if you try to produce it mass resourceful-wise, it's just inefficient. So sometimes it just, to me, has a lot to do with the inefficiencies. But a good example of that is when you go into the car business. And I, I just said this last week. I was like, look, if you see, has, has anybody seen like a zebra car? I'm like, what's a zebra car? The ones that have the little grids on there. You can't see it. You can't like, it looks like it's a car, but you wonder why it has like that funny paper on there. It's because, have you ever seen a car like that? I don't know what you're talking about now. So like whenever they have a new model of a car, like if you go to Motor Trend and stuff like that, when they're testing out these new cars, you'll see like okay. cars and, they, and, and sometimes the cars have a lot of black and white on them. They look like zebra cars and they look like little QR codes and stuff like that. The, re the reasons why is because when you go to take a picture of it, you can't see the lines of the car because people in the car game take those lines and they build designs from that. That's like a security thing. So you can't model yeah. the design. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's literally hidden in plain sight because it's hard to, you know, any camera because the way that they have it, like you can take a picture of it directly and you still can't see the lines, but the car has lines on it. That's one of the reasons why is because in that industry, they, they literally take other people's technology, like, <laughs> when I was working for one company, they were like, hey, can you tell that guy to stop buying cars from us? We don't need to reverse engineer. And I'm just like, I can't do that. That's not my job. Like, literally, like, you know, he's a consumer. If he's buying off his personal credit, he can do whatever he wants. So we don't, we can't just walk into like a military facility and say, hey, I want to buy that. It doesn't happen that way. So we tend to get like, as civilians, like leftover technology. That's, that's what's really going on. We get, we get a lot of leftover technology. I was really hoping for a robot made from the Jetsons in my lifetime, but. Uh, I think we already have them though. I saw one the other, well, not like Rosie, you saw like Rosie, Rosie, Hardcore Rosie. I did see one about uh, two months ago though. Um, and they, they actually have my security uh, functions now. Those robots function as security. Interesting. Yeah. I have a little Roomba vacuum thing, but I don't, it's one trick pony. It's not very versatile. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, and it was the most fascinating thing because my wife was like, "What's that?" I was like, "That's one of the robots." I was like, "That's legitimately a security robot." Like, you, if you can, you, I think they've even personified it to where if you try to alter it, like, or do something to it, it's a felony. Like, they don't play with those kind of things. And then you have, uh, was it, uh, Saudi Arabia? They have the world's first um, AI robot that has citizenship. That I feel like is a slippery slope because then do you have AI? Did they get to vote? Like, if I'm a citizen, I have voting rights. Yeah. Make a whole bunch of people for your side. <laughs> yeah. They also have bots that uh, self-regenerate, uh, I'm going to say self-generate tissue, like human tissue. But there, they have self-producing AI bots that do that as well. I look at it like this. Here, here's my here's my real, real feeling about all this stuff. And I don't talk about my feelings much. Because even, like, as a copywriter, people go, oh, well... You know, uh, like, is, is uh, I'm trying to think of the big one out there. Conversion idea? Like, are they, they going to replace us? I was like, never. Like, what do you mean? 
it's, it's converting. I'm like, yeah, but there's something about the human touch, even in copy, that you can feel. You're talking about the AI doing. copywriting tools? Yeah, yeah, all the AI okay. copywriting tools. They're like, oh, we're going to go out of business. I was like, I heard that in a car game. Like, it, it actually increased work because people use the tool wrong. It's just a tool. That's like saying that your calculator is going to take over the world. Like, <laughs> you have to still push the buttons. Like, we have a smart we have a smart refrigerator downstairs. It's the exact same concept. You know, it's just like, hey, that refrigerator, is the refrigerator spying on me? No. I'm not, look, I'm not naive, okay? Let's, let's be super clear. I'm just letting you know that from a functionality standpoint, though, we have gotten so used to having convenience that we're willing to give up some freedom for convenience. That's, that's a recurring theme. 100%. We're giving up freedom for convenience. Now, that's volitional. You could have said no to all of this stuff. You know, like my aura ring right here. It, it, it keeps track of my metrics. I gave up my freedom so I can have something invade my body because I, I do value my health. I'm like, yeah, I want that. <laughs> I want to be around for a good minute so I can see these robots that we're talking about going to Mars and Jupiter. I'm like, yeah, like 100's the new 16. Like, yeah, let's go. Like, I don't care, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you have a line though? Like, would you get microchipped for convenience of not having to carry a credit card around? Well, yeah, I actually said no to that when it first came out. I got. So you I, have a line that you yeah, I got. I got hit with that when I was in the military. I was like, "No, I'm good." <laughs> like, they yeah. wanted to tip you in the military. Oh yeah, and the reasons why was because I literally had a, a different designation where I needed access, and it's just easier to just go in and out of places. So it wasn't anything nefarious. It's just like so it's like a key card type yeah. thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's like oh, a wow. key card. Yeah, but I'm like, Did they take it out of you when you leave the military. That was my question, <laughs> and, and even if they did, I'm like, I don't know because I'm not. I've never broken a bone. I rarely get sick. I mean, I got PTSD from being in the military, so certain things I do get triggered for real. Um, but the reality of it is I just do my best to just not put anything in my body. And I'm talking about whether it's it's it, it's data, whether it's physical. Like, I believe my body is my temple. But I am willing to give up some, some freedoms just to be able to just say, hey, I am willing to have this on there because it does help me out. My metrics are very important to me because I need to literally mind my own business first. And I think if we do that... And they're, oh, well, what about this tech company? What about that tech company? And we saw that happen with another tech company that just got bought for $44 billion. So, you know, I know the jury's still out on certain things as far as technology and, you know, the other spaces. But, again, sometimes what looks bad is good. Sometimes what looks good, bad is good. Good is bad, bad is good. It's just, it depends. It just flat out depends. But my thing is I don't want anything imposing its will on me. There's a difference. I do know we need to have control. But also need, and also know we had need to have uncontrolled. Hence that duality again. Like where do we draw the line? There's I think five or six generations right now on this planet, and this ties into a lot of what you're talking about, because that perception of like my 15 or 16 year old is completely different than my 85 year old friend. So a bigger question is how do we coexist together? You know how do we still have like how do we get the information disparity handled so that we don't label something as conspiracy theory that's what i mean by that like i'm a big advocate of just telling the news that's literally how it was trained just tell the news and if you can't do it with the biases find out why you know do i need necessarily need to know the name no not really because what happens is you're going to see a pattern in a trend and what happens is i'd rather follow the pattern in the trend now if it's something that's going to stop me from being productive yeah, I want names. I want to know what's going on. I want to know like why I have these invisible barriers and these invisible ceilings. That's what people really want. They want they really want to be able to have sovereignty on all levels. But what we have to realize is that we still have to coexist. So that's kind of like a myth as well. You know, like like there's certain parts of the military that I enjoy, you know, and there's certain parts that I hate it, but that's life. You know, it's it's part of the overall human experience. So just imagine for a second if you always knew your favorite basketball team was going to win, would you watch them? No. Boring. We already know what's going to happen. Better to have the adventure of life than... Yeah, yeah no. That's no. always been one of my bigger fears is being bored. Like, I'd much rather yeah. weather ups and downs than to have absolute monotony. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so all of the stuff that we're seeing, like, like, like again, especially in new markets, like, things are going to happen because it's just uncharted territory. But something has to happen. And sometimes we shoot our pioneers just because they're going out there and they see an angle. 
And 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 that's and that's one of the that's one of the first shifts that I teach my clients. I'm like, most of the people I track are innovators. I already know that they're innovators. I already know that they're very forward thinking. And I'm saying, hey, with that power comes responsibility because you can see things. Now it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to take like super advantage of people. That's bad. I don't I don't agree with that. I don't co-sign with that. That's why I mainly deal with people who are faith faith based entrepreneurs. Because there is a duality to this information. Somebody who gets it who's evil can do bad things. People who do something that's good, they can do too much goody two-shoe stuff and they want to kill somebody just to protect their interests. It goes both ways. The line goes both ways. You know? A lot of people don't realize Mr. Rogers was gangster. <laughs> well, because that's what happens. Like, like, you just get tired. Like with me, people ask me, like, you're so calm. I'm like, not really, but you have to understand I've had to learn how to discern. I've had to learn how to move a certain way and really understand that this, there's a human condition here. And if I trigger this person, then they don't really realize what happens when they trigger me. That's what I mean by that. Like, so I have to be able to have, I have a different level of control in my life because I've just been through a lot more things versus somebody who's just like a bull in a China shop. I'm just like, okay, great. Just stay on your side. I'm cool. Start coming over here. We may have to talk. And if it gets too aggressive, then guess what? I know the five military, you know, <laughs> I know that I know my orders. I'm just like, okay, great. You know, sorry, not sorry. But, you know, it's just one of those things where I just respect everybody. I love everybody. I honor the energy. And I'm always down for hearing how somebody got there. That's what I'm always down. Because, again, what people don't understand, especially with, like, wealth and how it really works, rules are made to be broken. They're not absolute. You have to challenge things. There's a difference between a law a policy, a rule, a procedure. That's why they're different words. So there's different levels that you can play at because when I mean rules are made to be broken, what I mean is that it's about innovation. If somebody's saying that I can't do this, like if I was to walk into a dealership right now and something's broken and it's against their rules, well, that's why I'm on the outside is because I see a different way. It may be a rule for you, but in order for me to have change management, I have to make that play because I know what the option is and I know what happens for the better if we all move in that direction, nothing wrong with that. It's your rule, but it's not my regulation. Awesome. Brett, tell everyone watching how they can find you. Like what's, if somebody wanted to work with you or be a part of your community, like what, what's going on in your world in that regard? Oh, wow. Uh, caught a, um, if they want, they can go to uh, nextlevel.ceo. It'll take them straight to the Facebook page for now. Um, okay. They can just, uh, I would probably say that'd be the best way um, because there, I have a whole bunch of different stuff. But or they can just find me on Facebook. They can put in uh, "This is Fred Smith" and they'll see they'll see me over there. Um, I'm just not. Is Facebook it. still your dominant platform for sharing things? One hundred percent, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. I'll tell you why. I mean, it's just simple. You have to be a master at one before you start scaling out to others. Um, but the reality of it is, um, I just I just believe since I work so hard to stay on that platform. I just want to be able to focus to get the ins and outs of it because you learn one platform like that. You can go to LinkedIn, you can go to TikTok, you can go to everything else. And as an advertiser, I just want to stay in one lane. And my strength is, is just that. So, yeah, they can go to nextlevel.ceo. Um, they can hit me up at uh, or ifix.marketing is my other website. Awesome. I want to thank you so much. We covered a whole lot of topics. It's really cool. I always value your perspective on things because you have obviously incredible world experiences that I think have shaped you to have this level of analysis and discernment that's very rare. Thank you. That means a lot to me, mine. Likewise, because you're, you're straight G with it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Fred. Thank you so much.